If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ on this second Sunday of the new year, which happens to be the first for us to regather after the great Christmas Eve flood. Here at Mayflower, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? Some, some thought we were past the point of collective agreement, Holy One. But last Monday night, under the stadium lights, the collapse of Damar Hamlin proved otherwise. We all held our breath. We all hoped and prayed. We all willed him to be okay. Not just those who are watching the game or care about football, but even those of us who can't name a single NFL team. The experts tell us that we get so invested in sports because of the belief that something really profound and important is going to happen, as if the stakes are life and death. We hardly ever let ourselves think of it that way, of course, because no one wants to admit what we've turned this past time into, a game so violent it nearly killed a kid, as if it shouldn't have been enough that just a few plays before DeMar's hit, a cornerback lay on the turf surrounded by trainers evaluating him for a head injury, or earlier that weekend when a quarterback convulsed on the field after being sacked. And then there's the fact that the NFL hasn't been completely successful in burying reports of paralysis, dementia, and suicide among former players. But we know you are not so much worried about the NFL as you are worried about us. Before we try to carry on as if someone's heart didn't just stop, help us think theologically. Why are we so addicted to such violence? What does it say about us that we haven't insisted something change? How does this kind of callousness show up in our lives when the game isn't on? Help us, Holy One, 
to channel the collective expectation that something really profound and important is going to happen into making something really profound and important actually happen. In Damar's name we pray, amen. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is a shepherd for my people. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They left for their own country by another road. Here ends the reading inspired by our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. This is not the lectionary's assigned reading for this Sunday. The story of the Magi was actually last Sunday's reading. This week, the lectionary assigns the story of Jesus' baptism. But in our particular context, talking about anything that involves water is just too soon. (laughs) Although that we had to wait a week longer than expected to hear the story of the Magi, it's actually entirely appropriate. As all of you Bible nerds are aware, the Magi only appear in the Gospel of Matthew, and despite every nativity set you have ever seen in your life, they did not show up at the stable within minutes of Jesus' birth. Scholars suggest a two-year window between the birth of Jesus and the appearance of the Magi. And we can really only speculate as to what kind of people the Magi were. Were they royalty, astrologers, sorcerers, alchemists, philosophers, all of the above? We don't even know how many of them there were. We sing, we three kings, but the text tells us the number of Gifts, three, 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we say that we're, there were three magi to match the number of gifts. It's assumed the magi were men, but we don't know that either, although some say that the gifts themselves are proof that the magi were men. <laughs> A joke I clearly don't even have to finish. But frankly, the men I know deserve far more credit than that. In any case, that is not the point of the story. Even cursory exegesis makes it obvious that Matthew is using the story of the Magi to help Jesus fulfill prophecy for the benefit of the original audience. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And then in verse 6 in that same chapter, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Scholars are quite certain that Isaiah was not talking about Jesus, but Matthew never lets the facts get in the way of a good story. As theologians Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan point out, given that we do not think of the wise men as actual historical figures, but as characters in a parabolic narrative, it may seem idle to speculate about who they were. But we can nevertheless ask who Matthew imagined them to be. They are magi, a word from which we get magician, but they were not magicians in the modern sense of the word. Rather, the word refers to a kind of religious figure. Magi had wisdom by being in touch with one another and with another reality. Their wisdom was a secret wisdom, a kind not known by ordinary people. No doubt some were astrologers in the sense that they paid attention to signs in the heavens. But to think of magi as primarily astrologers is misleading. Rather, magi were people with a more earthly wisdom. The magi in Matthew's story come from the east. It is unhelpful to speculate about a more specific geographical area that they might have come from, for what Matthew is saying is that they come from sacred geography, not physical geography. What matters for Matthew is that they are Gentiles. As Gentiles, they are from the nations. Remember that Isaiah passage. And those Gentiles, even Gentiles, are drawn to the light of Jesus. The uses of light and darkness in this parabolic narrative are many and rich. Jesus' birth is the coming of light, but the darkness seeks to extinguish the light. That's Herod's plot to kill Jesus. But drawn to the light, the magi from the nations pay homage to Jesus. Jesus is the light. Of course, no concise set of sentences can capture all the meanings of this story. It's, it simply cannot be reduced to a particular set of sentences and statements. 
the narrative retains its evocative richness and metaphorical power, and like metaphorical narratives in general, it has a surplus of meaning. And perhaps next year we'll do a sermon on that surplus of meaning. This morning, however, we are going to try to keep it simple, although I am not sure that means it is easier. We will attempt to follow in the footsteps of the Magi who crossed over geographical, political, religious, ethnic, and cultural boundaries as they searched for meaning. And this is the story, after all. So it is, as it took them many years, it will take us more than this morning. The Magi observed the star, and instead of ignoring it or simply keeping an arm's length distance, they pursue it, they lean in to awe and wonder, and they find it. Ultimately, they listen intuitively to their dreams and evade Herod's deception, choosing what is perhaps a more difficult journey. They go home by another road. Wonder, writes Brene Brown, fuels our passion for exploration and learning, for curiosity and adventure. Researchers have found that awe leads people to cooperate, to share resources, and to sacrifice for others. And it causes them to fully appreciate the value of others and see themselves more accurately, evoking humility. This, perhaps, is an even better explanation of the story of the Magi when we superimpose it over their story, we see, indeed, cooperation, shared resources, sacrifice for others, an appreciation of the value of others, and humility. And we also see what can happen for each of us if we pursue awe and wonder. What would it be like for us to do the same, to take the same journey as the Magi, to seek awe and wonder, to not be certain of a particular outcome, but to trust that good will come, or to phrase it theologically, to not be certain of a particular outcome, but to have faith that good will come. The good news is that our tradition has a whole season dedicated to this, the season of epiphany, epiphany, epiphania, which refers to the coming of God into the world, the manifestation of the divine, not just as a phenomenon or a sense, but as actual flesh and blood, humanity. Epiphany is about appearing the appearing of a star, the appearing of a new path, the appearing of salvation, the appearing of home, but by another way. And we are invited to spend this season a whole six weeks pursuing, seeking, looking for the appearance of God in our lives and in our neighbors and in the world. The hope is that intentionally looking for awe and wonder, looking for God, 
will lead us to making it a way of life. What if, the Reverend Courtney Richards asks, what if our whole life was tuned to the way God appears with us, in us, and through us? This is, by all accounts, harder said than done. Easier said than done. (laughs) Y'all know what I meant. But this is one of the things the church is good for. We are not a place of perfection. We are a place of practice. And if we are going to get better at awe and wonder, better at looking for God, better at exploration and learning and curiosity and adventure, better at sharing resources of cooperating and sacrificing for others, better at appreciating the value of others, and better at humility, then we must practice. Wonder is both doing and being. Awe is a spiritual muscle that we can only keep from atrophying if we work at it. And given what we know about what awe and wonder inspire us to do, that cooperation and sharing and sacrificing and appreciating and humility, there is no better time for us to begin this work. A tradition connected to the season of Epiphany is the use of star words, sometimes called star gifts. The idea of the star word is that Like the star of Bethlehem, it will guide us and we will follow it with imagination, with awe and wonder, and it will come to rest just where we need it to. On the communion table, there are star words for each of us, and in just a moment, we will have the chance to come forward and receive it. And receive is a key word here. For when you come forward to collect your word, I encourage you to come to the table, close your eyes, and then pick up whatever card your hand happens to land on. Don't hunt for a particular word or look through them to decide which one you're supposed to have or what you can make sense of or apply immediately. Remember, this is a journey, and we will carry this word with us all year long, and its significance will change and grow as we go. It might, of course, be possible that when we see the word we pick up, we will think we know exactly what it means for us. And that can be true in this moment. It can also be true that it will take the rest of the year for the meaning to fully reveal or appear. This is not anything that we direct. This is not anything we perfect. It is something we practice. For those of you who are online, If you would like a star word, you can comment in the thread or send a message indicating that you would like a star word and we will send one to you. So come now, friends, and let us take 
the first steps together down the road of wonder. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.